to the Forerunners Podcast. You're listening to the first of three episodes featuring the Scott Ward, who traveled all the way from Utah to sit down with me. I am confident that you'll enjoy our talk, whether you're running or whether you're sitting back relaxing. Without further ado, let's get into it. All right, everybody, I'm here with the Scott Ward. Welcome, man. Thank you, Danny. I appreciate you having me. I'm so excited to be here, brother. Awesome. You came a long way, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, wouldn't miss it. Would yeah, not man. miss it. Thank you for the opportunity. It's uh, I, go, I go to the ends of the earth to be on Forerunners <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, let's go ahead and jump right in. This is a loaded question, I know. Where are you from? That is a loaded question. So where the 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 long history of Scott Ward, the long of the long is um, I was born and raised in California. I was born in Northern California, Modesto, California. Um, when we were when I was young, we moved to Southern California, Orange County area, and I was in Orange County until my junior year in high school. Uh, my my senior year, my family decided that we were going to move to Salt Lake City. So. Um, moved there with the family, uh, finished out my senior year in high school, went to the University of Utah. My family decided that they did not like the cold weather uh, in Salt Lake, and so they moved back to California. I stayed there for about 10 years, minus a short period of time where I lived in Hollywood, California, and then, uh, and then I moved to Seattle, Washington. I basically tell people I've lived everywhere from Seattle to the Canadian border. So the entire I-5 corridor in, in Washington from Seattle to, to Bellingham, uh, I've lived up and down that. I lived there for approximately 15 years. And then I moved to Norfolk, Virginia. And I was in Norfolk for um, just under seven years. And now I'm back in Ogden, Utah. So for full circle. Almost. I'm from everywhere, yeah. <laughs> Now, let me ask you this, because I have actually been to Seattle. I almost moved there. Yeah. So after me and Annalise got married, I went I went and interviewed at a seminary there, got accepted into it, and moved into my parents' house to try to save money to live over there. Our minds changed, and we decided not to go over there, because it would be a lot of loans to yeah. be able to live over there. But in my estimation, from where I've been in, the, in, the, in America, Seattle is probably my favorite place I've been and most beautiful. Oh. I mean, what do you, what's your opinion on that? You've been I, a lot of places. I've been a lot of places. Um, I would say that the Pacific Northwest is by far, it's a top, it's a top three for me. Yeah. It'd be very difficult for me to, to, to rank three places, but I believe that there's no prettier place on the planet than a nice day in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah with the mountains and the water mm -hmm. and the lush greenery. Um, it's a it's a beautiful place. Yeah. There's a lot of really misty, gray, depressing days, uh, but that's what gives you that really lush green landscape. Yeah. It makes it so beautiful. And, and when I was working, um, I had a, a Navy ship moved from San Diego to Bremerton, Washington, and all the sailors were super bummed out because they had left San Diego, right? 
And I told them, don't worry about it. There's going to be three weeks of the year that this is the most beautiful, beautiful place you've ever been to. But I agree. It's, it's a phenomenal place. Yeah. Um, I love it. I want to go back someday. It's a great place to visit, for yep. sure. You oh, would have yeah. gone broke living there, but... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we said, mm, probably not going to do that. Right. Go, go try to learn to be a pastor at some place you got to be rich to be. That's not going to work out. That's not going to work out. <laughs> so let's talk about your family. In your household, you have one cat and two dogs. I do. I have one cat and two dogs. <laughs> we talked about that. So my wife, uh, Catherine, um, goes by cat, and then I've, we... We have a blended family. Um, Kat had Hank, and I had Lenny, and then we came together, and now it's uh, just the four of us. So people often ask if if I have kids, and I treat my dogs like kids, but uh, I know there's a big difference for those parents out there. But um, most definitely, it's just the four. It's just the four of us in our gotcha. home. So y'all got kind of a Brady Bunch thing going. We do, on. yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, one of the things that I noticed about you really before COVID-19 hit, is that you were always traveling. You were always r- running in uh, crazy places. Yes. Like the, I think one of the last places I saw you running was Japan. Yeah, so so, um, so with my job, I uh, before COVID, pre-COVID, I would fly somewhere between 100 and 120,000 miles mm-hmm. a, a year. Oh, and, um, you know, I used to tell people, <laughs> it sounds kind of a braggadocious thing to say but i would say you know it's really easy to run 2,000 miles when you don't leave your neighborhood mm-hmm. but try and run 2,000 miles and fly 120,000 miles in the same year i've run in a lot of strange places like airport parking lots and and whatnot throughout the country but i had the opportunity i've ran in bahrain i've ran in um i've ran in japan i've ran in okinawa i've ran in germany i've ran in scotland Goodness um gracious. I've ran in England, so I've run in a lot of states in the United States, So, um, which has been pretty awesome. It's a great way to to explore a new city, is to put on your run shoes and, and go for a run and, and check some, some of the areas out. Um, I ran in Hawaii, like Jason yeah. uh, talked about, and uh, I would I laugh because when I was running in Hawaii, I'd get up early. You're all screwed up because of the time zone, right? And so I'd get up super early. I'd be out the door at like 4 a.m. And you'd be going out to run. The only people that were out at that time were runners. And there were a lot of them, to be yeah. honest. And people coming home from the bar. So it's the two totally different, you know. <laughs> well, we were going out. They were coming in. But um, it's been a great opportunity for me to get uh, a lot of, you know, maybe pins in the, in the, in the globe on, on where, uh, where I've run. So I'm, yeah. I'm super thankful for that. Well, this will be important in my next question, in my next couple questions, but you are, I think the proper term, term is like a food broker, right? Yes. You, like you're a food professional. Yes. Now, that'll be important for some of the, these questions okay. I have in a few seconds because I just did some discovery this week through some conversations with you. But <laughs> um, people might be surprised to know that Scott Ward is an alcohol-free vegetarian. So tell us about those choices in your life. Um, so being a vegetarian started in, the, the mindset really started in high school. And um, like I say, I grew up in Southern California. There's a wide variety of individuals in, in our school. And there was a gentleman 
who I shared a class with, and he would bring a lot of the animal rights propaganda into class. And he sat right next to me, and he used to make me read it. And I determined somewhere in my sophomore or junior year that I was going to be a vegetarian. And I went home and I told my parents, I'm going to be a vegetarian. And they said, what does that mean? And I really didn't know, right? So I was like, I don't know. And my mom said, I don't care what you do, you're in charge of feeding yourself. So basically I ate salads for about three weeks. Um, it, was, it would have been like 1989, 1990. There weren't a lot of options out there in the restaurant world. Mm. I didn't have discretionary income to buy food. Yeah. Um, I think I ate you know, a, a lot of the same stuff at Taco Bell that I still eat today. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and then I ate salads. And uh, I was running cross country at the time. And after about three weeks, I had determined that I had zero energy. And this was probably a really stupid idea. So I reverted back to my carnivorous ways and progressed in life. And then I got into college. Um, and my sophomore year in college, uh, I, my circle of friends were vegetarian uh, and non-drinking. And I never drank. So growing up, um, I never drank, never had the desire to. I was never in high school. You know, I wasn't a cool kid. Right, so I, I wasn't invited to those those Hollywood parties where everybody's drinking and jumping out of you know second story windows and into swimming pools and <laughs> everybody's doing keg stands. That that certainly wasn't my life. It was a lot of movie watching, pizza eating with the cross country team. So well, I never had that that pressure. And growing up younger, um, I saw people in my family that really struggled with alcohol, and I just determined that that wasn't what I wanted to be yeah so I was thankful for that and when I got into my sophomore year in college I like I said I, I met this group of kids um, this this circle of friends and they were all part of this straight-edge community and straight-edge kids are don't do drugs don't drink um, many of them are vegetarian or vegan they abstain from sex and there's just a lot of they listen to hardcore music there was just a lot of similarities in what I was doing and I kind of fell into that and I refound my vegetarian ways. So I've been a vegetarian for about 26 years now and I always, you know, people always ask like, why don't you eat meat? Um, they also ask, why don't you drink? Those are two yeah. very prominent questions. And um, so I don't eat meat now because it's just part of who I am. Yeah, I started for an animal rights reason. It's not really healthy. Uh, I get a lot of comments on, on what my diet is and what it consists of, um, how I eat, what I choose to eat. So it certainly was not for health reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's just kind of a way of life yeah. on who I am. And, and drinking really is the same thing. There's been many times, the interesting thing about drinking is there's been many struggles throughout my life where I felt the drive to have a drink to fix my problem. Do you know what I mean? Like I, like things were going south and I was, I had watched a lot of friends that when they were struggling would just get wasted. Yeah. And, um, and so there was a lot of battles throughout life uh, to where I was, I was thinking, this might be a good time to drink, right? Like why not start drinking at 30? 
Um, but I, I've never drank, I've never had more than a mouthful of alcohol. Um, I haven't had anything to drink in at all in over 20 years. But in college I would smell, my friends used to drink like fruity beers and they would smell delicious, right? Yeah, yeah. Some of the beers out there. It's there's, amazing how much it tricks you. Yes. There's, there's alcohol <laughs> out there that smells delicious. And then I'd be like, hey, can I try that? And of course they wanted to let you try it because they wanted to try and make the non-drinking kid drink. Yeah. The bad news is it still tastes like ass. Yeah. It was disgusting. And so I would tell them, like I, I remember this one time we were just hanging out at the apartment, my roommates uh, drank and, and I was like, hey, can I try that? And they said, sure. And I ended up spitting the beer like back out in their face. So, um, Dude, I'll tell you what, I live like that still. Yeah. Like I like to smell everything that people are drinking around me and I'll on occasion I'll sip it but I can't really ever put it down. Like even last night when we were hanging out, I smelled the drink somebody was having. Yeah. It's interesting because people the follow up I mean I don't know if but the follow up is does cat drink or is cat a vegetarian? Um cat's not a vegetarian and cat does drink. Yeah. And so it's not um it wasn't like a defining factor of who I date or whatnot. Yeah. And she does a great job accommodating me and my lifestyles. And I think at some points having a non-drinking friend is really beneficial to a lot of people. Yeah. Like it's it's amazing when you tell throughout my work history, they'd be like, oh, you don't drink? So we do work, ish, uh, work events and you get drink tickets. So I was always very popular because oh, yeah. they wanted my drink tickets. And if we would go places, I was also very popular because I could drive, right? Mm -hmm. So I became fast friends with plenty of people that like to drink a lot that's funny i give a lot of my tickets at races away so. right that was so yeah one of the <laughs> things you know we'll probably talk about steve armitage at some point but one of the things that that steve used to do is when we would finish is he'd come up because he knew i wasn't a drinker and he'd say all right give me your tickets you know <laughs> and uh and i was like all right you know here you go well here's here's the reason i brought up that you're a food you're a food broker that you've dealt in food for a while because we discovered this week that for a vegetarian, you are the most knowledgeable person about meat that I've ever met in my life. Like, <laughs> if, if you guys ever can corner Scott about meat, you should do it because he knows a heck of a lot. It's more amazing. Than, more than you need to. <laughs> so, part of my work history, I used to work for um, a food distributor um, major move food distributor distributor named Cisco, which I'm sure not the not the computer company, the other one, which was always interesting when you would tell people you work for Cisco and they're like, oh and you're like, no, I sell food and they're like, oh right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um and so it was really um a hurdle for me to overcome as a as a new salesperson to try and sell protein, center of the plate items are uh, the most important in the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. And so to not have really any practical knowledge you know when I started I was probably I don't know maybe 10 years into being a vegetarian maybe less but and a lot we'd go to these trainings and and our salesmen my fellow salesmen would they'd cook up steaks like uh, if you like food you should work for a food distributor because a lot of the cuttings are samplings mm -hmm. and so they would have tenderloins and New York's and all these different things and um, and the salesman would not listen to any of the sales features and benefits, right? Mm -hmm. They would just taste it. And if it tasted good, they sold it. And of course, I didn't have that option. 
Um, so I would listen to all of the details on how it was raised, what the, you know, what the marbling score meant, et cetera, et cetera. And I would watch your face when you ate it and I could tell if it was good or not good. And so um, I ended up at some point during my sales career actually leading the company for a period of time in, in beef sales. And our protein specialist would get up at these, na at these uh, sales meetings and he would, I mean, he would call me out and he would challenge our group and say, if the vegetarian in our company can lead in this, there's no reason why anybody else can't. So um, it's really like, you know, my wife probably gets annoyed a little bit because I, uh, I enjoy the knowledge about it. And so sometimes I maybe overshare on how it's processed or how it's harvested or, you know, those things, but I enjoy it. It's something yeah. I've done my whole life. So the first time I ever approached you was at Biffledink two years ago, Biffledink 10 by 5k. Yeah. And I remember I had followed you on social media when I was trying to, you know, dip my toes into the running community. You were stalking me. Yeah, so I knew who you were. And I saw you walk up uh, after we had set up our tent. Me and Annalise were there. She was my only friend. She doesn't even <laughs> run. And uh, I was like, babe, that, that guy's name's Scott Ward. And I'd known you just run Boston, too. And I was like, he just freaking ran Boston. And uh, the other thing I noticed is that you brought several cans of soda i believe i had a i believe i had a 7-eleven big gulp uh when i got out of the car yes all i said to annalisa was if he drinks soda i can drink soda <laughs> <laughs> he's run boston it's it's possible babe right so but and uh i just thought it was funny that you're a soda drinker and when we went on a run together yesterday this is a funny story we we both went to 7-Eleven after the run to buy a soda. Right. The, I guess the the cashier knew maybe by your shirt or by the way we were dressed that I, well I was wearing shorts. Yeah yeah. yeah. And, and you were wearing tights. I don't know how many guys in thirty something degree weather wear a shirt. You know, tights she, is not a big. It's she not legit a big fashion said to statement. both of us. She said she said I didn't know runners drink soda. And I, right. I said that's why we run. <laughs> So I just thought that was funny. So I appreciate that you're a soda drinker. But let's get down into some nitty-gritty stuff, man. What's your athletic background? So I mean, we gathered a couple of them, a couple of things. But. Yeah. So I'm not really good at anything, to be honest with you. Um, when I when I was I was super little. I laughed when I listened to Mike Cap's podcast because he was a wrestler, right? And mm -hmm. when you look at Mike, especially, you know, I haven't seen him obviously recently, but. Um, when I was running with them, it was a little hulking mass, right? Yeah. It was a little, little, little mound of muscle. No offense, Mike. I mean, you're big. You're a big dude, right? <laughs> so, um, but I want. I, he looks like a wrestler, mm -hmm. right? I always wanted to be a wrestler, but I didn't break a hundred pounds until my sophomore year in high school. Dang. I, I was always a little yeah. skinny. Yeah, I was just a little skinny runt, and so. Um, my parents, this I guess is important, um, I didn't grow up really playing American sports. So my parents immigrated, um, I, don't, I don't know if that was on the list, but anyway, we'll talk about it now. <laughs> uh, my parents immigrated from Scotland and 
I was the first ward born in the United States. And so my dad had never played basketball before, right? He never played American football. He never played baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so well, I didn't play catch with dad in the backyard. I didn't shoot hoops. Yeah. Um, you know, I, so I ended up learning those through school, but I wasn't any good at it yeah. because I hadn't, you know, all of a sudden you show up like in third grade, you're playing basketball outside and your form sucks, yeah. right? Like, so um, the one thing that I was always good at is running and, you know, good's relative, but I could run, right? I was little, I was scrawny, big kids chased me, I ran away, yeah. that's what happened. And so in junior high, I don't know what your school was like, but we had to run the mile in PE yeah. for time. And there was, I don't know, five or six guys that were faster than me, maybe in our class. But I did okay. You know, there was the kids that were really fast, and then I was like that middle section. I was the, the next group. The fast kids, and I was the next group, then you had the kids that walked, like, from the start, right? Yeah. Um, and so... So, uh, yeah, seventh and eighth grade, intermediate school, we did that for PE, and I remember in eighth grade, during PE, the high school coaches would come and really talk to the kids about, like, what are you going to do for sports, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's be manly and talk about football and whatever, and so yeah. the, all the kids, like, a lot of kids wanted to, wanted to play football, and some kids played soccer, and et cetera, et cetera, and... and they had said this this word I had never heard before, cross country. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what's cross country? And they said, well, it's, it's running. And I was like, ah, I'm okay at running, right? Yeah. Um, so I ran, uh, I, ran in, I ran in high school. I ran cross country um, all four years. I ran track, uh, I only ran track three years. I quit, I quit track my junior year because my coach and I didn't see eye to eye after my soft, after my junior year in, in cross country. And so I just said, fine. I'm like, I was punishing him, right? Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I'm not coming out for track, yeah. you know? And he was like, fine, don't come out for track. And ultimately it only punished me. But, um, anyway, so I, I ran in high school, I moved to Utah and, um, and I ran with, when I ran in high school, Danny, I ran with some really good runners. When I was a sophomore, our number one guy went to state. He raced all the big races. Mm-hmm. He was he was known in California. He raced um, at Simplot. He was phenomenal, right? Like, he was best in class. As a sophomore, I was the fifth runner. Yeah. There's a big big time difference between when Mike Calgary would finish and when Scotty Ward would finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so he went on to college. He ran in college. Um, I moved. Life goes on. We moved to Utah and I ran there uh, for Skyline High School my senior year. Don't ever move your kid the last year. Right? Don't, do Piper a favor. Don't don't take her away from her friends her, her senior year. Anyway, but, um, That's yeah, parental advice by Scott Ward. <laughs> so, so my senior year, we run, we're doing cross country, and I do track, and I do okay. 
nothing nothing exciting it's um i went from so i talked to Susie about this all the time we used to walk a lot in cross country when i was a when i was a sophomore and a junior coach would say go run run this loop or whatever and we'd run out of school and then you get up to the corner and you turn in the corner where you couldn't see you and you'd, you'd walk, right? We'd walk up the hill or we'd walk for a little while and yeah. we'd, friends would talk. And, and the top runners, the guy that went to state, he never walked, right? Yeah. But us, so, so we did that. When I went to school in Utah, my coach, ran, my coach had practiced two times a day. We did two a days. Mm. I went from walking to practicing twice a day. It was culture shock, to say yeah. the least. But um, that year, one of our girls went to go run for, she, um, she was a senior my age, and she signed with the University of Utah. And I remember thinking, if Valerie can run at college, Surely I could run at college, yeah. right? She's not that good. She was good, but yeah, I was like, she's not that good. So after my senior year, I called the coach and asked him if if I could try and walk on. Mm-hmm. And he so my freshman year, he invited me out. We we did workouts, um, and I was fortunate enough to walk on my freshman year at the University of Utah and run cross country and track for. For the Utes, and um, and then I think we'll get into how that ended up. So yeah. we'll leave it there. <laughs> well, let's jump right into that because one of the things that um, people don't people don't know this, but you've you've actually helped um, form the identity of or for Forerunners podcast uh, in a number of ways. Um, so <clears throat> I remember one time I was I had asked the Instagram group or the Instagram followers, I said, right. what is, um, what are some running questions you think I should ask everybody? And I think you DM me and said, dude, like running isn't what makes a person special. The fact that they're a person is what makes them special. And I think that real, that was like the most formative sentence of Forerunners podcast, because as everybody knows, Half of the stuff we talk about on Forerunners isn't running. Right. It's about who the person is, and I've always appreciated that. Well, thanks. But man. another thing you said, <laughs> another thing you you'd said, because I I'd say why'd you start running, and you said a more interesting question would be why'd you stop running, which takes us to a continuation of the story that you just ended. So you have a big reason that you had stopped. Running. Yeah. So I think the reason that I talked to you about. The reason I said it, and it didn't necessarily relate to me, but the reason I said it is I think that, you know, especially people my age, we spent um, we spent time playing outside, right? Yeah. You ran as a kid. Mm-hmm. You ran in school at some point. You ran in PE. Um, and at some point, unless you're Drew Midland or maybe, you know, I don't know, so other people like Drew, you, you continue to run, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're however old you are and you've run for however many years you've run. And I will tell you, I used to get made fun of in high school by the kids that lived in my neighborhood because I would go outside and play every day. Like, there's a story 
I was doing, I was a, a junior in high school and um, this little, this little redheaded kid comes to the door. His name's Johnny. He rings the doorbell. My mom opens the door and she, and he says, can Scott come out and play? And my mom looks at him and, and Johnny's probably seven or eight. And, and she said, oh honey, I think you have the wrong house. And he said, no, Scott lives here. Can, can he come out and play? And my mom came and got me. I was doing homework. My mom came and got me. She said, there's a little redheaded kid at the door. He wants to know if you can play. And I said, oh, that's Johnny. Hang, hang on. And I went out and he's like, hey, we're playing kickball. Do you want to come play? And I said, I finished my homework. I'll be out in 15 minutes. And so I used to play on the street with all the kids, mm -hmm. kickball, chase, whatever, right? Yeah. It, was, it was really, I think it's something that kind of defines me. And so I feel like that is running, play, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we get to my freshman year in college, and I walk on. And I'm the slowest guy on the team, Danny, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, the, I'm the slowest guy on the team. There are some, there is such a discrepancy, and you hear me say this all the time, is um, fast is relative, Yeah. right? So fast is relative. So I was fast compared to to a peer group and then I went to college and I had the opportunity to race in college a couple of times in cross country and I took damn near last place and I was in phenomenal shape the best shape I've ever been in yeah and it wasn't good enough right but coach kept me on the team because of my work ethic, because I worked hard, because I pushed the team, because these guys that were good and had talent were lazy. Mm -hmm. And they just would show up and rely on their talent. And I worked my ass off. I really did. I worked hard. And so um, the challenge came, and, and this kind of this lends my mindset on, on a few things, even as an adult now is I started to believe that I was better than what I was, right? I started to think that I was equal to these guys that were running at NC2A finals and that had gone here and there, regionals, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm a guy that the coach doesn't even take to races sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I ran the 800 in indoor uh, track, which is, you know, four times around a 200 meter, and I was running for my life so I wouldn't get lapped. And so... I'm doing all this work and um, and I'm training, I'm in great shape and I go uh, I go to, to team tryouts. I get a phone call. The team doesn't call me to work out with them in the summer in between my freshman and sophomore year. And the, the assistant coach calls and says, hey Scott, on Wednesday we're doing um, team tryouts. So we're inviting you out. And I said, okay. And he said, um, he said, oh, you can make it? I said, yeah, man, I've been waiting for you guys to call me. Like, I've been working out. I'm in great shape. Whatever. And he said, okay. I was like, well, we're doing, um, we're doing five by one mile repeats with a minute recovery. I said, okay. And he said, we're going to run them at, um, at 5.15 or better. And I said, okay. I said, okay, man, no, no worries, right? I'm straight. And so I show up at East High School in, in Salt Lake City and, I got my track spikes and the whole team's there and it's the first time I've seen them all summer and some people are super nice to me and some people are standoffish and 
and we go, and we set out and um man the first mile was like 50 something right no sweat second mile was 50 something no sweat third mile was was 510 fourth mile was just over 510 last mile i kind of fall apart and i end up running well, somewhere between 5.15 and 5.20. But I feel like super pumped overall, great workout, in great shape. There's a bunch of guys that have been running with the team all summer sitting behind them. And uh, and I'm sitting down on, catching my breath, totally, totally wasted, catching my breath. And uh, head coach, Mike Jones, comes over and he says, Scott, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, sure. What's up, coach? And he says, um, hey, it's really hard to make these types of decisions. And I said, okay. He said, I'm gonna have to cut you. And I said, coach, like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be number four or five on the team this year. Like, did you, didn't you see? And he said, um, yeah, it's like I say, it's just hard not, not seeing anybody. You're just not fast enough. Golly day. I will tell you, it was it was soul crushing because here I had believed I'd done all this work. I was in the best shape of my life. Uh, I was running extremely well for myself, and I was looking forward to contributing to the team. And the coach said, "You're not fast enough," and it crushed me. I mean, I cried. I, I like, I threw my shoes in the car and I went peeling out of the parking lot at 100 miles an hour and mm. squealed the tires and. And did all that stuff and and um and the next day i got up and i went to go for a run and i couldn't run and i was like i'll just give it you know i'll just give it it was so detrimental to my mental health to have the coach tell me that i wasn't fast enough the truth was i was fast enough to make the team right i could have made a team i was 20 30 times faster than i was the previous year and you kept me around the reality was I had a really bad attitude, right? I thought I was the cock of the walk. I thought I was the number one guy. I acted that way. I didn't remember you brought me here because of my work ethic, right? And over that, the course of that first year, my attitude changed. And instead of the coach saying, hey, Scott, you know what? Great improvement. Your attitude sucks. Fix it and come talk to me, right? We're you're you're a distraction to the team he said you're not fast enough and i believed him and i quit running i quit running that day mm. that's a messed up story because <laughs> <laughs> you you got to understand like everybody listening to this story that's going to listen to this story is thinking like five in the sub 520 like five times in a row is like something that none of us will ever do and it and to have had your your hopes and dreams and and just uh your belief about yourself squash like that that's rough stuff dude i think it's a really important to and one of the things that i try and share i had a i had a bad coach in california and a bad coach, like I say, I stopped. I stopped running um, my junior year, and um, 
part of it was my attitude then too. I see that now in hindsight, being an old wise man like I am, right? But, um, so I see, hey, but I was a 15, 16 year old, testosterone filled, confused, whatever kid, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're a coach at a high school, that's who you deal with all of the time. How do you, how do you work with those individuals? Mm -hmm. um, and so I had, he, he would tell me all the time, he'd say, well, what do you want to run this year? And I'd say, well, I want to run, I want to run this time. And he'd say, you can't do that. Like come up with a real goal. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, coach, no. So coaching and being, and being in a coaching role is vitally important, especially to impressionable people. I won't even say youth, but yeah. people, there are people our age that could be aligned with a negative influence yeah. and mm -hmm. it can have catastrophic effects. Yeah. Yeah. So let's skip a few years okay. because eventually you do start running again. Why'd you do that? So I actually quit. Um, I actually quit running for 20 years. I quit running for 20 years. Um, it never interests me. Uh, I would maybe, you know, maybe the first couple of years after, after that college moment, I would, um, I'd go run just because I was young and had the ability to, right? Mm -hmm. I was 20 yeah. years old. I could go run eight miles, no problem right? Mm -hmm. Now, somebody that's 46 years old now who hasn't run that goes out and run eight miles probably isn't going to have the same experience as a 20-year-old did. So, I mean, we would run a couple times. And then as I, you know, as I moved around, as I got older, it just wasn't, it didn't interest me. It wasn't enticing. Um, I moved to Norfolk. I met my wife. Kat's a runner. And um, she's run races. And she probably regrets getting me involved in racing. Um, but but I remember I was traveling for work and Kat was training for, she's in the uh, Air Force, she was training for her PT test. And I had just turned 40. And I said to her, I was in um, Lexington, South Carolina. And I said to her, uh, what, what's a 40-year-old? Like, what's a 40-year-old man have to run the PT test in to score a hundred percent. I can't remember what it is, Danny, but, but she told me and, um, and in my brain, I'm still a 19 year old kid, right? In my brain, I'm thinking about those times that I ran when I was really fast. I haven't run, right? But mm -hmm. I still think that's not that fast, right? And so I said, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a whirl. And I go out and I think it's a, I think it's a mile and a half. Um, and whatever the time was, and I almost die on the streets in Lexington, South Carolina. Yeah. Like, legit. I go out, I'm running as fast as I can, I've got my watch on, I'm timing it. Danny, I felt like I was gonna vomit my lungs out of, you know, it was the most horrific experience. And when I came home from the trip, I told Kat, hey, I think I wanna, like, I think maybe I wanna, like, start running again. Yeah. Um. And she's like, yeah, you should do it. And really Kat's involvement in running and her racing and her fitness really inspired me to revisit a passion that I really had forgotten that I had. Yeah. Um, and that's really kind of where it started. That's, that's interesting. That's something I didn't know. That's, that's awesome. So 
you really didn't start running to you I mean start running again big time till you got into this area yeah so um, 2014 40 years old um, it was in the summer in August and I started just I started just running again you know it wasn't anything crazy a couple times a week um, maybe three or four miles and I just started to I just started to do it and then I would see I would see some progression and that would force me to do it a, a little bit more and then yeah. and then we um, and then we raced we went to our our first my first race in the area was um, uh, was wicked yeah right and so cat was cat had to really explain to me about racing and we dressed up and I think that I was um, mork for mork and um, and she was uh, she was something we were both doing a we were doing a Robin Williams tribute um, but I just ran the race with her and and that really made that really lit a fire in me yeah and that made me like want to run more yeah what um so what year was that would you say when i ran um i ran wicked in 2015 that was 2015 oh sorry my bad 2014 wicked is is the one that i ran that's the first race and we'll talk about this in other episodes but you you started racing a lot more um, one of the things, yeah, that's a, maybe an understatement. So, um, like I said, when I talked about you becoming a soda or you, you being a soda lover, the first time I saw you was at, at Biffledink 10 by 5k and that's when we met. But like I said, I had noticed way before that through, um, the, SWRC Instagram that you were really highly involved in the running community um, that you you really uh, you were passionate about um, promoting run clubs things of that nature but um, your involvement in the running community wasn't always that way right How, what was it like for you to try to get involved in the running community so i started really like running more so 2014 was the first race that i attended and i saw you know thousands of people at this race and really it was just cat and i there we didn't have any other friends that ran um we just showed up that's a lie i don't think chris and karen will listen to this but but um cats our friends chris and karen um they showed up they ran wicked chris ran as a felt uh, tooth and Karen ran as a as a tooth fairy and Chris cursed the whole way because his nipples got rubbed raw with the felt, with felt. <laughs> oh <my gosh>. right <laughs> it's messed up oh dude. god poor Chris anyway um and so but there was this great big community right that's obviously supporting this race that's there people know each other um they they talk they hang out they do whatever and so I, that was that was interesting and inviting to me um, and then, so I started running more and, uh, we signed up for the hair of the dog 5k on January 1st for, you know, 2015. And, um, and again, same thing. Kat did not make it to the race cause she had a little too much fun the night before, but, um, Chris, Karen and I went and, we raced and I really enjoyed it and that started this cycle of finding races 
running races. Mm -hmm. Um, it gave me purpose because I don't necessarily love training. I love racing. And so it got me involved in that. But, um, so that's 2015. And I don't think I really became active, maybe an active, you know, social member of the running community until probably 2017. Yeah. Um, I would say the, really the end of 2017, you know, maybe fall of 2017, if, if I was looking at a Scott Ward timeline, it was what it was. And, um, but I would go to all these races and I would see all these people and... I don't know. It wasn't the most welcoming. Yeah. As an outsider, it was great if you knew people. Yeah. It was really great if you knew people. They were, you know, like I, you, I saw all these pockets of people talking and and little clicks here and there and and whatnot and friends and family, etc. But, um, like I mentioned, Cat went from racing one or two times a year to me wanting to race almost every weekend. And I ended up getting to where I was racing multiple times a weekend. Um, and so that was like too much for her, right? Like that's not what she did. She was like, yeah. pump the brakes. I don't want to race this much. Yeah. I like just running around the block, listening to my music. Yeah. Like, you know, you go do you. Um, so um, honestly, what, what probably happened is um, sometime in 2016 or 2017, I said, you know, the name Steve Armitage. Um, Steve used to race a lot. Mm -hmm. And Steve had noticed that there was this bearded, tattooed guy racing more. And I finished kind of close to him on a number of occasions. And, and Steve started talking to me. Well, Steve only started talking to me because he wanted to find out how old I was and if I was in his age group, right? Yeah. He'll, he would tell you that. Um, but we ended up striking up a friendship and then Steve introduced me to various other people, Jamie Cole, Brett Riley. Um, I met, I met Forrest Hamilton, uh, at a road rage event and he followed me either on Strava or Instagram. It was, he was the first person who was like, Hey, aren't you right? And I was like kind of blown away by it. Um, and then, uh, this guy, Steve Harbor. And that little group kind of started like blossoming. And Jamie used to go to running, etc., religiously Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, then he started going to Norfolk Run Club on Wednesdays, and he would invite us out. And a couple times I went, and I started to go to these various run clubs. They would run at Burp. God love Greg. But I swear to God, he tried to kill people running on that old route. Like the first time I went out there with Jamie Cole in the dark, in the winter, running on the highway. I was like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> but, but I really started going to these, these run clubs and getting involved and having conversations and then realizing, hey, I recognize these faces from the races that I've been to. And then when I was at races, like, you know, you could then maybe bridge that gap. Um, and then I started to realize how many how many run clubs there were and um and fitness groups and i, I started to i just started to go to them mm -hmm. um 
And it's interesting because uh, Crystal Harper and I had a conversation, another former guest, hate to name drop all the people, but um, but Crystal and I had a conversation. We went to, to one, of the, one of the clubs and she had said, hey, the people here aren't very friendly, are they? And I said, no, oh, you got to be the one that's like, hi, I am, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot of people coming over. I think that's just people in general. Like, yeah. you know, I'll talk to you, but I maybe won't approach you. But if you approach me, like you did at Biffledink, we had a conversation, yeah. you know. Um, but I wouldn't randomly go up to him and be like, hi, stranger, you know, yeah. let me tell you who I am. Yeah. Um, and so what I would do is I would go to these run clubs. Um, and then on Strava... I would go to the people that you ran with or go to the club site and I would see who ran that day and I would comment and I would say, hey, Danny, it was nice meeting you or hey, Danny, thanks for coming out. Um, And really, I started like I started to do that Um, when I probably got the most entrenched is when I started going to North End Mm -hmm. because the club's obviously much bigger. And I wanted to go to these run clubs because I felt like the racing community and the run club community were two separate communities, right? Yeah. There's all these people that ran for fitness, which mm-hmm. in my brain I can't understand, right? <laughs> Why would you just want to go out and run and punish yourself and not have the reward of a race mm-hmm. to see where you're at or get a medal or have an after party, right? Mm-hmm. So I felt like there were these two different factions out there and i was trying to bridge the gap between the two of them um and so when i would go and i would i would go to north end or i would go to november project or i would go to norfolk run club or burp or whatever when we finished i would sit in the car and i would go through everybody that ran Mm -hmm. and instead of just giving you kudos right i would write something Mm -hmm. and then next time when you're there you know, if you go a couple weeks and this random dude, Scott, keeps telling you, hey, great job, Danny. Hey, it's good to see you. Then yeah. you start to be like, where is this dude? Let me go in or like, let's have a conversation. And that's really, I think, you know, what gave me a footprint in making friends yeah. within the run club community. Because then you had people that would reciprocate. They would look for you. You would have conversations. You could... You could create bonds, you know, whether it be Glenn and his FOMO crew or, you know, all those other people that are out there. Um, I really tried to, uh, I really tried to bridge gaps between, between that race community, between run clubs, right? Like those types of things. And, and I think that having, looking for that interaction on Strava really helped me plant that seed. Yeah. Now. We're about to round this episode out. But before we do, there was a question that I had for a really long time. And I I asked it of you like probably a year and a half or so ago. But I think maybe everybody wonders, what is Scott Ward Run Club? (laughs) Oh, I'll tell you what it's not. All right, let's start there. Because I think that when Scott Ward Run Club started, um, people were skeptical. Who has a run club that names them after themselves, right? Drew Crew is named after Drew because Drew would never name a run club after himself. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. If you know Drew, you know Drew is nothing about 
the whole fact that there are t-shirts and flags and pins and stickers is like so against everything in his core but it makes me just giddy inside because yeah. so many people love drew right yeah so um but for to have a to have a, somebody come out and say hey we're gonna call this run club well, i'm gonna name it after me right um I, I don't know that i can necessarily tell you like how i officially became that way what i'll tell you is is there used to be a I mean, I hope there still is, but there was a Scott Ward fan club before there was a Scott Ward run club. And I had t-shirts made for that. And it's just been something, it's, it's almost like a way of me making fun of myself. But it, in doing so, it brings people together, right? Um, I would go to, we would have uh, parties when I lived in Washington and people would come over and it'd be all these different types of people, tattooed kids, executive leadership from you know a fortune 100 company you know like just all the gamuts and and people would say like how'd you get all these people together and i'd be like oh it's a scott ward fan club meeting you know <laughs> so so it wasn't put together to try and promote myself it wasn't put together to try and exploit the run community it was really put together you know um it was, a, it was a group of guys that when you showed up at a race, especially when we started putting my face on stuff, right? When you showed up at a race, you would be like, I recognize that, right? It was almost like, like I said, trying to bring, it, bring that, that bridge together. It was something that I didn't want to stand alone. I wanted to be like kind of inclusive of, of everything and give everybody that, that neutral party to where we could we could visit and if you didn't know me um or you or you did know me you could come up and talk to you know those people and be like oh hey where's scott or how's scott or or you know blah 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 right and then it would start those conversations and hopefully build those relationships and strengthen a community like i said that i felt was operating in two different factions and then bring them into try and unify do the best that i could to be a catalyst for for that positive energy yeah. and, and unification. Nice. We'll talk a little bit about Scott Ward Run Club a little bit later too. Okay. Uh, but for right now, I'm going to open up the advice column. This should be interesting. And this is why. Because you give a lot of running advice. People look to you for, for tons of running advice, probably including myself. So I'm interested to hear what you choose to say <laughs> on the I advice to column today <laughs> uh you know i think that there's i've never been accused of not sharing my opinion mm -hmm. right nobody's like wow i really wonder what what scott ward thinks i'm sure some people are tuning in just to hear some kind of crazy something that i might say <laughs> anyway right um but i do i appreciate the fact that people value at least something what I have to say. So the the thing that I think that I can be quoted as saying the most is race faster or train slower. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of people out there that are just running too hard all the time. It doesn't equal 
what their races are. And you have to understand, my mentality is all racing. That's what it is. I appreciate that there is a whole group of people that don't ever want to toe the line or cross the finish line. God bless you. I will never understand you, right? So my world is all 100% race driven. And so that is a calculated training program that is running low intensity miles, that's doing correct speed work, that's understanding where your body is and what it can be. And what I see is a lot of people that maybe get caught up in what other people are doing or what their friends are running or maybe some advice that they've gotten and they're training too hard, their, their pace for their training runs there's not a big enough gap between that and what their race times are. Yeah. And so I would say if you're in that racing world, you can either race faster or train slower. Nice. Nice. I want to I want to circle back real quick too cuz I've wanted to use this platform to say this and I think you told a perfect story to do this. And that is that The running community is very friendly and welcoming. Right. There are people who will become your good friends. I've got tons of great friends now um, in the running community. But it's like you said, you can't go to a run club and expect to be uh, have a crowd gather around you. Right. You cannot do that. Right. If you want to go to a run club and make friends, you should really put yourself out there. You have to be active. Yes. And I think that that's, to your point, the thing that made me maybe embedded in this community is was my activity level. I increased my activity level. Yeah. I didn't, like, I didn't just show up and think everybody should be like, oh my God, thank you so much for being here. We've yeah. missed you. Because everybody does a really good job of asking who's new, asking your name. But if you don't engage at that point, then yeah. that's all you get out of it. Yeah. So if you go, if you're new to the running community and you're trying to get involved in a run club, and you go to a run club, introduce yourself to people, talk to them, have a couple questions to ask to get to know people. Don't just go and expect a crowd to gather around you. I know it seems like that could happen or that should happen, but it doesn't happen. You've got to be proactive yourself. And I, me and Scott have talked about that on several several occasions, and that's one of the reasons that. Um, he r really is uh, highly involved, or while he was here, highly involved in running community, and kind of still is. <laughs> so we're going to wrap right there, man. Here we go. I could legitimately sit down and listen to Scott talk about running or tell some of his life stories all day long. And... We almost did because we got two more episodes coming up. So, if you guys miss racing, then prepare to miss it more because that's what the whole next episode is about. I look forward to sharing Scott's passion for racing with you guys. But until then, this is Danny signing off. Godspeed.